Well, I don't know about you guys, but one of the surprises that I see as I look at the realm of pop culture is this whole subject of true crime. You know, it seems like we're living in a moment that is full of all sorts of dark things. And when I when I watch TV or listen to a podcast, I don't want to focus on terrible things that have happened. I want to be uplifted. I want to escape. <laughs> I don't want to know, you know, here are the facts behind behind this unsolved murder. Yeah. And so who's to, probably outside your window who's right probably now. Probably outside your window. And, <laughs> and maybe some of you listening today are wondering the same thing. Or are him. <laughs> <laughs> or you are the murderer. Ah, that's a little dark, Jonathan. So I'm Adam Holtz, your host of The Plugged In Show. And today we are going to be talking about this phenomena of entertainment that's focused on true crime. And joining me for our conversation today are Paul Acey, Kristen Smith, and Jonathan McKee. I'm glad to be here with you guys today. I want to know this personally. Have any of you ever been drawn in to one of these true crime stories? And I guess it, it's appropriate to begin a, a conversation about true crime with a confession. If you say no, you're lying. No, right? no. I, yep. You know, and, and the crazy thing is, okay, so my daughters who are, are 23 and 25, they're on this kind of thing right now. And they've sucked me in because <laughs> it started on my last trip here oh, to focus no. on the family. My daughter was with me and we did an interview about one of her books and, and it was cool because on the way back, she's all, dad, have you ever heard this podcast? You've got to listen to this. So we started listening to this true crime podcast Oh yep. and I got hooked. Uh, you, and yep. so I'm listening to it. And, in, and the thing you. is, we were each listening to it on our own, but we would like text each other. Hey, what episode are you on? Oh, wait. Okay. Well, I can't tell you, but you're not going to believe what happened to the or whatever and stuff. And then my youngest daughter too. She's just all, have you seen the recent one with Patton Oswalt's wife? You know, cause neither of us could remember her name, Michelle McNamara, but, uh, <laughs> but it was, but literally, I mean, I started watching this thing about the golden state killer and I, and maybe I'm in Sacramento and granted, literally there's like 50 different victims around Sacramento. Some of them like four doors down from my friends that I grew up like staying at their house. That's terrifying. And, yeah, I mean, I mean, I literally was like, I walked by this guy's house every day. I mean, that's how. So obviously that you know kind of kind of hit home. But no, I mean, I just have become a little bit entranced. So so confession, yes. Okay, uh, so Jonathan is a yes. <laughs> that was a long yes. No, that was a very long. He's right. Yes, no question. That's right. Jonathan. That's right. I don't think it is. I feel like you really need to know that there's an emotional connection to say like, hey. This guy was like three doors down from me. Yeah. Now I'm scared and really hooked and listening to this true crime podcast, which yeah. when we're, so I've tried to listen to this before and I get overruled by my husband who's like, let's listen to business podcasts. I'm like, no, <laughs> that's that not way fun. more fun. <laughs> that's not entertaining. So obviously my answer is yes, I've gotten hooked on these okay. for sure. Paul? No. Uh, I, what else can I say? Paul does. It's okay because we more than made up for your answer. You know, it is a, it, no one cares. I feel like the average time speaking just got leveled out pretty effectively. Thank you, Paul. Paul says, We're all sharing. Um, so mine is no with an asterisk. Um, and the asterisk is this. When I was 12 years old, there was a paper boy in West Des Moines, Iowa named Johnny Gosh. I'm already scared. Who? This is a great. This is like a campfire story. Go ahead. No. Did he have a hook for an arm? 
<laughs> he got hooked, Jonathan. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, Adam. I'm shaking my head. People listening <laughs> on the other end, I'm shaking my it head. It sounded like a campfire story. No, it's not okay. a campfire story. Okay, go Johnny ahead. Gosh was a paper boy, and he disappeared one September morning, and they have an approximate idea of the time he disappeared, and he was gone. And you know how you have pictures of kids' faces on milk? things milk yeah yeah, yeah. Cartons. cartons that's what they're called that's i right. hate it when the wrong word is just not uh, milk <laughs> the right thing. word is just not there the you milk had thing. Me milk things um he was the very first face on a milk carton oh and wow this was in 1982 he was 12 i was 12 that's the saddest thing it i've was, ever heard it was about 30 minutes from where i live so similar to you yeah. and your story jonathan um, and I had lived actually really close to where he was kidnapped and Did gone. they ever find him? No. Never? Never. No trace. Um, I mean, it's similar in some ways to like, you know, the John Benet Ramsey case and not being able to figure out what really happened with her. And I think that's part of the fascination. And I'm now answering my own questions before I even <laughs> ask them. But there have been multiple podcasts and I think a TV show on Johnny Gosh. I'm now going back to the initial question that I've been tempted to watch because I have a personal connection. And that's I remember right. at 12, you know, Stranger Danger talks, yeah, you're a kid. You don't know anything. I mean, it just, but then a kid gets kidnapped and you're the same age and it happened oh, yeah. half an hour from where you live. And shortly after that, my best friend and I were walking this guy stops a car, opens the door and says, hey, do you guys need a ride somewhere? And we look, you know, we're like, Johnny, Johnny Gosh. <laughs> and it's not funny, obviously, but we literally took off and ran the other way. Well, and yeah. so I think that there's something that we're both repelled and attracted to uh, in these sorts of stories. But let's talk about that. Why do you think stories about true crime, whether we're talking because we have we got them on TV, we have movies podcasts it's huge it's dominating the um, podcast i looked world. at apple's yeah. list today nine of the top 20 podcasts are true crime podcasts hmm. which is incredible to me so why are they so popular right now oh goodness you know i think there's there's a lot of different ways we could go with this and yeah. there's a lot of well, well, answers one. so or when, two i might go for four maybe uh, so maybe do so. Not. be better than your but, no answer <laughs> <laughs> Lame. <laughs> I do think that there is an, an inherent attraction to evil, right? We all like to look at the face of evil and try to understand it better. And I think that when hmm. you're talking about these true crime serials, that's what you're really trying to do. You're trying to get under the skin of something that you don't understand and try to understand it better. You're trying to Good. understand the uh, the what can cause somebody to do this because it seems so foreign to what we understand about each other. Yeah. I like that what you just said, that what can cause someone to do this? Because I think I've asked myself that question every single time I watch one of these. Like, How often do you do that? Okay, okay, calm down. <laughs> every night when I turn it on. No, I just, every single time that I've watched one, I think, wow, what would drive me to do something this extreme? What would drive a person to do that? I just think it's a, a very natural question because you're right. It's so foreign right. from anything that we usually see like in our own day-to-day -day lives. 
Yeah. And I think that we tend to just, it's its almost, part of it is a little bit like rubbernecking on the highway when yeah. we see an accident, you know? We know I think we shouldn't, but we're darkly it's, curious. It's grotesque and gory, and we just, we just have this curiosity, right? We mm. want to peek behind the curtain. We want to see the the worst that something can be. And, and it's a weird thing. I'm not exactly sure why we have that in ourselves, but I think most of us do. Most of us have this pull toward the well, dark. Well, when you said that we like are fascinated by evil, it's, I thought you were going to say fascinated by scary or in the same way of like horror movies. It was interesting mm-hmm. you said evil because to me, it's in the same way that when Adam started to tell that story, I said, ooh, it's like a campfire story. Like I grew up and if my dad told us, we'd be like, Tell a scary story. I wasn't like, Dad, tell me about someone evil. No, you know, you know it wasn't, I wasn't necessarily fascinated by evil. Now, I got to admit, though, um, getting into the mind of the why, mm. um, you know, uh, John Douglas, the mind hunter guy, the, he was a true FBI guy who really kind of started the forensic, you know, uh, the, the show Criminal Minds is based off of him, you know, uh, the show Mindhunter based off of him. He did something that nobody had done before, which was kind of, um, hey, let's think, why is this guy doing what he's doing? Let's ask questions that draw Mm -hmm. that out. Let's interview other people who've done bad things and find out what makes them tick, because that will help us catch other guys who are still out there. To me, I did find that fascinating. My wife doesn't understand it. And so Lori will constantly say to me, Jonathan, why are you fascinated by that? That scares me. And I'm like, no, I, I swear, I, I don't want to do this, but I would love to, <laughs> I would love to capture bad people like that. Yeah. I, you know? I, yeah. No, I would love cool. to be that cop. You know? I think that's that cool. that is the second thing that, that is, makes these stories really appealing, to be quite honest with you. Now, I don't get into these true crime podcasts or movies or no. anything like that, but, no. but I do <laughs> like myself a good murder mystery. Okay. Right? Yeah. And Agatha Christie. Agatha yeah. Christie. Dorothy Alfred Sayers. Hitchcock. So there is a, an author called Dorothy Sayers who was a huge Christian. She's She's gone now, but, but she's written uh, theological books, but she also wrote these murder mysteries. And she was saying that, uh, that essentially the murder mystery is one of the most moral forms of entertainment that you can have. And the reason is is because it it starts off in chaos. It starts off with a terrible, terrible deed, and then it moves toward resolution. It moves toward order, and it moves That's toward justice. Interesting. And I think part of it is because we long for that sense of justice as well, and we want to back to your point to to be the good guys in this. We want to solve this. We want to bring resolution to this chaotic, bloody mess. So what I hear you saying is. It's not just a fascination with the macabre that draws us, that it might not actually be 100% a bad thing if right, you right. listen to this whole story. Because I think from the outside, I think, why, of all the ways I could spend my time, why would I want to choose this? Because it feels so horrible. But but there is that desire for resolution and justice built in. I mean, it's a weird dichotomy, I think, is it, because you're really dealing with some some dark part of ourselves that finds this appealing, but it also hooks into a lighter part of ourselves. We want to find justice for these people who were so wronged. I actually kind of like that because if you look at something like a lot of the Oscar winners, they end so dark. Like there's no hope yeah. and there's no justice at the end. It just kind of sits there, like no resolution. But this, like you're saying, like 
I watched Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile about Ted Bundy. I reviewed it. Yeah. And it was fascinating. Like, there were so many people. Seriously, there were so many people in his life that didn't even know that he was doing it, including the person that he was with. And then you start to see, like, I think it speaks to character. Like, what happened, and you see this person's character develop, both, like, morally and, like, as themselves. And then you get to see all the evil, but also that they're put away. And there's almost a sense of security in that as you watch it. Like, okay, maybe they were like apprehended and then it's not just going to like end terribly. Now, did you just watch the Zac Efron movie, that one, or did you then watch the documentary about him with the real footage? So I didn't see the documentary yet. Okay. I just watched the movie, which yeah. was well, enough. Let's, let's ask our no, true no, crime no, lovers no, no. what they thought of <laughs> well, the documentary. Well, the documentary, <laughs> to me, all of a sudden, then see, you've seen Zac Efron portray him, right. but then to see the real guy saying some of those things, and you're like, oh my goodness, he kind of was like that. You know, and mm. you see kind of the the power play, and you see that, and then you get to see his focus on the family interview. Yeah, uh, and Dr. Uh, Dobson. Fasc- yeah. Fascinating, you know? Yeah. Uh, but no, it is it is interesting. Some of these, now, like when I just saw the All Be Gone in the Dark, which is this interesting true crime because it's uh, Michelle McNamara, who is who married Patton Oswalt, the actor, uh, she had this true crime, um, you know, podcast. It was very popular and she started going after the Golden State Killer. And this documentary does something I've never seen a documentary do. And and I can honestly say it's the best documentary I've ever seen in my life. Wow. It, wow. it covers two things that I thought were fascinating. It covers one. It talks about her life. It talks a little bit about some of the stuff that was going on in Michelle's life because she spoiler alert but it's everybody who goes into it knows she dies she dies because she kind of had a little bit of problem with uh taking pills to keep her awake and taking pills to help her go to sleep and Mm. one day she didn't wake up and so you see Patton Oswalt dealing with this the loss of his wife through this thing second thing that happens is um the it follows all these victims of of rape and then all the Mm. survivors of the people who were murdered because there was like 50 people that this guy raped um and back then, if women talked about this, it was kind of a shame culture. Mm-hmm. Well, what did you do to provoke this? Mm-hmm. What were you wearing? What did you mm-hmm. say? You know. Yep. And it was fascinating as all these women basically shared that they couldn't talk to anybody about it. And it's as if this documentary had a point. It was, you need to talk to others about this. You need to share. You need to express this. This documentary was about healing. Not mm. only Patton Oswalt's healing of the loss of his wife, but the healing as these victims finally eventually got together and started to talk about this. So it was, to me, it was fascinating. It was more than just about some serial killer. Because it had a message. It was it was about healing yeah. and about being able to talk with each other, community, it, fascinating stuff. Hmm. That's yeah. really interesting. Well, and I think another element of the draw here is just good storytelling. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. every story is built on a conflict. And, you know, is there a bigger conflict than an unresolved murder. I mean, it's just sort of like the ultimate crime version of a splinter in your finger. You got to get it out, right? You want to know what happened. And I started listening this morning um, just to have a sense of context to the number one show on Apple's podcast list. And it is hosted by Dana Goodyear and it's called Lost Hills. And it's about one murder uh, in Malibu. And it's about a guy who went camping with his kids and his brother was in a tent, one tent over. And one morning somebody shot him in the head and, you know, his brother goes in to find him dead. Oh my goodness. And I'm like, 
well, that's horrible. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder what was happening there. And, and so I think that, you know, it was a dark and stormy night is sort of here in, in spades, right? We want, yeah. we want the resolution. Uh, and I, Jonathan, you mentioned horror movies earlier and that triggered another thought. We have talked about horror movies here. We've talked about the spiritual side. Horror movies allow us to get close to something that scares us, but we're still in control. And I wonder psychologically if there's a similar dynamic in play here that we can sort of glance or maybe even take a long look at evil while still being removed enough from it that we have a sense of of control. And I, you know, what do you guys think about that? Well, I actually, speaking to the the, the scary movies with the the true crime, I saw this thing that said, I, I'm like, basically, it was funny, like, I'm going to stay away from scary movies which are completely fake but i'm gonna stay up binging true crime (laughs) until midnight which is totally real yeah i saw that yeah and i laughed so hard because i i refuse i don't want to review scary movies which is why paul takes them all what a saint (laughs) um but i'd be happy to do like a true crime and it still scares me but not as much and i totally don't understand that as it's real stories yes scare you yes more than the real thing I, I don't, it's very strange. L- listeners, you have to chime in on that one. Jump on yeah, our we, social media. We tell, need us, to know. Let, tell us what is. Please psychoanalyze Kristen and let us know <laughs> why is it. What's wrong that, with me? <laughs> that she is scared by fake stories, but not by real ones. I don't know. Well, I also think there's a lot of real elements, though, to scary movies, like the spiritual stuff. And maybe that's it. Maybe the, a lot of the dark, scary movies put that spiritual stuff right in your face where you're seeing the true crime and it's a lot of violence and that spiritual stuff while it is obvious it should be in our faces isn't as much even though it's usually the driving force i also think that when you're talking about what kind of the dynamic that you are going through right now it's also about resolution yeah right yeah yeah, you know you know that this is sort of a finite story it's already terrible thing happened this person hopefully was caught yeah you know so it's a little bit more condensed where where you know, a lot of times in horror movies, things are sort of left open. You don't know well, where the writer is going to take it. But yet, the I think the similarity to horror movies is what we talked about in our Scary Movie podcast, where we talked about what Scott Derrickson said, How and Scott Derrickson's a, a Biola grad, Christian guy who's done several scary films. And um, mm-hmm. when he did uh, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, it was he basically said, the reason I like scary movies is that there's it's things are much more black and white there's good and there's evil there's not in between and so much of entertainment today out there is so kind of wait who's the bad guys who's the good guys morality is wishy-washy where with a scary movie it's like nope that's scary that's definitely bad. the bad guy you know and here's good <laughs> and i love when you'd combine that with the dorothy sayers uh and trying to seek resolution there we go all right yeah, I think that that's, that's cool. a really valid point, you know, because we do have we live in this world of shades of gray and we all know the dichotomy that is sort of within our own souls. Right. We know that we're we're a mix of good and bad. So there's something really affirming about seeing something this bad, you know, on display and in a weird sort of way, because we, <laughs> we see the distinction between good and evil so much more clearly. And it might also be like seeing for ourselves i'm not that bad i would never do that so i can feel better about myself that i'm not a serial killer no i mean i'd never sit down and think that like i feel really bad today about yelling at my kids but i'm gonna watch this and i'm definitely not gonna feel bad because it it will help myself right (laughs) exactly yeah well 
I think the, the interesting thing too, Jonathan, what you were saying originally, um, how it reaches, like if it's personal, if you know that person yeah. or that person was around like where you lived, the American murder, the family next door was about the guy in Colorado hmm. who, I mean, these are like real, very it was like sad. 30 miles from here. Yeah, and and it think... was a case on the news. I remember yeah. we saw the first news story and I said to my wife, that guy is so guilty. Yeah. You know, when they didn't know, I'm yeah. like, I'm just watching him talk and there was nothing there. I think to that too, like maybe this is why I choose this over like the scary. It's more sad to me. There's like a heartbreak element there that I don't sit down. I've never watched The Exorcist of Emily Rose. I cannot stand scary movies, but I don't feel if sad. If they're fake. If they're fake. <laughs> no, this is not this. This is not the same. Well, no, but you're right. If it's close to home, then it's close to home. And, you know, and my guess is our listeners who are in Wichita probably know who Dennis Rader is, the BTK killer, you know, yeah. uh, who worked actually at a home security firm and would know people's alarm codes. Ooh, that's kind of creepy and stuff. Just but, you know, in Wichita, people, right when there. I visited Wichita, I actually drove by his house. And, uh, you know, and like, you're like, oh, look, and here's some of the places, you know. So, I mean, when it does hit close to home, it hits close to home. This is an interesting, too. I don't know if we're going to go here, but like about. Well, it sounds like we are. <laughs> we're going there right now, listeners. I'm we're just, here. I wondered, like, our fascination with this, how has this shaped culture? Because I remember growing up and we lived on like six acres and I'm the oldest of seven. My mom was like dying for us to get the house. She's like, go play. I would play outside. Go to the woods, yes, child. I would go outside and play in the woods <laughs> <laughs> with my friends all day long. And there wasn't a fear of like, what's going to happen to my kid? Is something going to happen? And I honestly, like there's an actual fear I have as a parent about my son going too far on his bike and I can see him. Like, I hear all these stories on the news where, you know, this little girl is taking her bike out with her mom. Her mom can see her. Someone opens the door and, and puts the, the little girl in and they speed away. And you're like, oh, my goodness, this stuff is happening everywhere. Has it always been happening and it just wasn't widespread? Or is this, is this because people are addicted to this stuff now? now I don't know. I, I think those are great questions. The interesting thing is most of the statistics on violent crime – over the last 30 to 40 years have gone down. Now we've seen a spike the last year or so with a lot of the violence that's happening. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's kind of maybe bottomed out, but our perception of the world and what the world really is are often two different things. Yeah, and um, I think the interesting thing about this conversation for me was when I, uh, when I posed some of these questions at the outset, I thought this was going to be a slam dunk this is trash. Why would anybody ever listen to this stuff? <laughs> but I think that we have actually really plumbed the depths of there's a lot going on psychologically here that might attract us. And some of it might be a little bit of that, you know, rubbernecking. Um, Edgar Allan Poe had a phrase. He called it the spirit of perverseness, that we want to somehow touch the darkness, but but again, still be in control. But I think we've actually talked about some positive and potentially redemptive reasons why we may be attracted to it as well. And let me transition in a very plugged in kind of way to a, another question here. What are some of the kind of content issues that we might run into 
I mean, uh, other than the obvious murder. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're dealing with the murder. You're dealing with a lot of salacious content that tends to be a part of this. And I think what, what Kristen mentioned just a minute ago is really, really an important thing to remember. I think that these shows can make us fearful. Yeah. They can make us scared of the world around us and less willing, I think, to interact with other people. And as Christians, that's not necessarily where we want to be. We want to be able to reach out and help people. And when shows like this can make us recoil from people mm-hmm. because we don't know who they are or what they want from us, I'm not sure if that's a healthy place for us to be. Yeah, that's a hard balance. I'll, I'm going to answer your question and then go off of that. Um like sexual content, especially in the one that I had mentioned about Ted Bundy, the the yeah. reenactment was pretty huge. Um, there's like some pretty graphic scenes there. And then you have like language um, and then obviously the violence. But I thought what you said was really interesting because it puts you in this state where we're called to love people well. And then where are we using discernment and who are we trusting and how are we trusting them and to what degree are we trusting them? Because I think that's called into a lot of like, maybe if you were used to be super neighborly and invite someone over, now you're going to be a little cautious because I don't know that person. Yeah, Uh, it could be Ted Bundy. Certainly, I guess. You know what? And honestly, I'd say that most of these true crime podcasts, I would as a parent almost be thankful that my kid was listening to that rather than just listening to some Cardi B song or something okay. like that. Say more so, about so, that because so, I wanted yeah, to talk about well, well, the parenting angle well, Let's here. talk about this. Pod- podcasts are getting way more popular. Young people are spending way more time on their devices even in the last year. They were, they were at about nine hours of entertainment media a day pre-COVID. Now coming out of COVID, those numbers have gone up in several areas. And I think kids got time on their hands. They're home. They weren't being as socialized. So- they're going to podcast. Now you sit there and go, okay, my kid could either be watching some fictional story by some Hollywood director or could listen to a true crime podcast. Now I'm not saying all these true crime podcasts are great, but a lot of them are real life stories. And what I would do, I think that if I was a parent, as if I found my kid listening to it, I'd say like, oh, cool. Let's check it out together. Let me listen to it. And I would just start listening to it. And if it was something that was crazy, I'd be like, hey, you know what? Let's let's be you know and and you could speak to it, but if not, that could be a point of connection for you as a parent. You know, it. I mean, I know my kids are grown and out of the house, but it's been a point of connection for me and my daughters. We're talking about these podcasts. We're like, oh, what about this? What about that? And you know, and the neat thing is, but it might be different if they were nine. Well, right? if they're nine, first of all, my nine year old's not going to have a screen. But yeah. uh, but, <laughs> but but you know, if you know and. Obviously, if your school issues them a screen, but I would right. let that be the school issued device. And then when school's over, be up. but you know, but no, if your 14 year old, your 15 year old starts listening to a podcast, uh, I'm not just saying, well, there's a lot worse, so it's okay. But I'm just saying, check it out, see how it is. And a lot of them might be good discussion well, starters. And, and that brings up something I want to mention, and we deal with it here at Plugged In a lot. And it's what I would describe as the relative versus the absolute judgment. And I agree with you relative to a lot of stuff out there. It might be a better alternative, but I think you could also look at it and say, this is a story about an unsolved murder. Is that a story that I want my child interacting with? And if it is, how do I interact with them? And I think what you're saying is if we're doing it together, maybe there's an opportunity to talk about something. So you've got that active engagement. Whereas if they're just processing it on it on their own, I went through a horror phase in high school. I read some crazy horror stories in high school. 
I kind of wish my parents would have been paying attention. Sorry, mom and dad, I don't mean to throw you under the bus, but, <laughs> uh, but I did that all on my own. And I'm not sure these are the kinds of stories we want our adolescents and, and, processing. And I would on argue that these true crime stories are, are less harmful than any Stephen King book. <laughs> Actually, I'm not sure about that. And I'll, yeah. The only thing I like, I had a story that related to this. My sister, she's 15 and she lives like within walking distance to Walgreens. I'm talking like bright daylight. They're not back streets. You can walk to Walgreens. Now, as a 15 year old, I would have been dying to go with my friends and walk to Walgreens and I don't know, get something to drink or whatever. She won't get do a it. soda. Yeah, <laughs> she won't do it. She is terrified, terrified. She's going to get abducted, terrified. Something is going to happen. It is kind of concerning to me yeah, i mean like no. even like leaving the house like make sure all the locks are on make sure this is on make sure your, secur- your security system is on and i think there's an element like where you're saying it could be less harmful at the same time this really should not be the only thing that's coming in it it would oh, most yeah, definitely be not. balanced can, anything could be too right, much right. obviously they're they're probably a little bit too much true crime uh yes <laughs> we're listening to there well yeah. and i think that that our fascination with it tends to lead us again i keep going back to what you said earlier about fear i think that it mm. makes us fearful and yeah. that is a problem yes when i think about let's let's go really in a weird direction here i can't wait one of my favorite movies about jesus is risen which mm. when you think about is a true crime documentary yeah you know, they're talking about this this guy who died. Everybody knows who killed him, but there's still some question about what happened to him. What happened the body. to the body? Exactly. Yeah. But when you think about the story of Jesus, that is one of the things that is most fascinating to me is sort of who was the guilty party? Mm. Was it the Jewish establishment? Was it the Romans? The message, of course, is is that it was us. Right. It was all of us. It was our sin. And I think that sometimes these true crime stories can set up this thing where we are the good people. These are the really bad people. And there's yeah. some truth to that. That's super interesting. But I think that it sort of loses sight of the sinfulness in our own heart, that, mm. that there's a part of that darkness within us all. Well, that kind of wraps it up. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> dun, dun. I mean, we're going to end with the heart of Can't darkness. Can't say anything after that. <laughs> there we go. Now, I, I do want to say one more thing, even though that was a great place to try to stick the landing. <laughs> I think we have to look at, at the issue of what is the fruit of this. Mm-hmm. And to be honest about, man, if I watch this, how is it affecting the way I see things? How is it affecting my emotions? Yeah, it's good. Uh, and sometimes kids are not very aware of that. You know, and we may need to help them ask those questions. You know, when you engage with this, here is how I see that manifesting its influence in the way that you're behaving, in the language you're using, in the choices you're making. Uh, and I think that gets to the story of your sister. You know, it's maybe there's an influence happening there that it's like, man, we need to call time well, out on and, that. And, and, and let's be honest, too. Too much of anything, because parents ask me all the time, is video gaming bad? Is too much Netflix bad? Is this and that? I mean, when really the research comes around, of all the stuff on your kid's device, the thing that's really scary is social media. Mm. But that other stuff, yeah, if your kid is gaming so much that they don't go outside and they're becoming obese, you got a problem. If 
you know, these podcasts. So are when because... my son's light burn out in his room and he didn't care to turn it on, you're saying that's <laughs> yeah, a problem. Yeah. It could possibly be a problem. <laughs> um, if, if your sister is too scared to walk down to the store and because she's, you know, just consuming these things so much that now it's consuming her thoughts. Yeah. It might be a problem yeah. to blanketly say, yes, you know, video games are bad or, you know, true crime is bad might be going a little far mm. because I think video games, you can bond with your kid, true crime. Maybe you could use it to bond with your kid. But yeah, you should check out the content. Make sure it's not across the board. I think I'd go back to the fear. That's kind of where I was like thinking most because I think you have two ends of the spectrum. You could say, um, I'm too scared. Like I, I know people that see things and it's not true crime here. It's true crime somewhere else. And then they're scared to travel. And then you think a part of the world is always terrible, right? Mm. And you can find this in a book. You can find this in a movie. Like you, you create a perception about a place or a thing that you don't really know based off of what you've heard or what you see. And so like, like to your point, we, we need to be having conversations about this stuff because you you can create something that might not exist. Mm. And that's where we often land things here in our families, in the, you know, the way that we interact with media, we want to be engaging intentionally yeah. and whether we're talking about for ourselves, because we often talk about it in relationship to our kids, but maybe we need to step back and ask ourselves, why am I interested in this? Why do I want to spend my time this way? How is it influencing my thinking? And in asking those questions, honestly, it gives God perhaps a space to, to work on your own heart. And then we can help our kids ask some of those same questions. And so, uh, as with most things, it may not be that there's a true crime is bad. True crime is awesome. That the answer for you may be somewhere in between and it's a process of growing in personal discernment for yourself, for your family, and for your children uh, if you have kids. And we hope that this conversation today has been a catalyst to help you think more deeply about that. And if you would like to chime in, we would love to hear from you. Jonathan earlier suggested checking us out on social. Uh, you can go to our Facebook account. Or Kristen, what is our Instagram account? You can find us at Plugged In Team plugged in team or you can shoot us an email at team at the plugged in show.com well if you are a regular listener to the plugged in show as our thank you for being a part of our family today for a gift of any amount we would love to send you a copy of paul ac's book burning bush 2.0 how pop culture replaced the prophet so uh, do that and i know that you will enjoy reading it on behalf of our team, I want to say thanks for listening to the Plugged In Show today, and we'll see you again next week.